Morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, I look forward to meeting you at some point. Um, I'm glad you're here, though. You've joined us at a great time. We have been in a series um, for a few weeks now that's called Think Again, where Jesus is challenging us to really reconsider what it looks like to follow him, specifically in different areas of our lives. Because Sometimes we isolate or, or we compartmentalize our faith life. But what the scriptures tell us and what Jesus says consistently is that having faith, trusting in him, deciding to be a follower is not just a compartmentalized religious thing. It's actually a comprehensive life-altering thing. That when you decide to give your life to Jesus, when you decide to become a follower, that every single sphere, every single part of your life and existence will be changed and touched and transformed by him. In other words, to be a follower of Jesus is to invite a radical shift in the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, the way you live. And in this series, Jesus um, has been speaking into some different arenas. He's been speaking into our relationships and our conflict and our leadership and last week into our sexuality. And today, Jesus will come and he will meddle with our approach to money and stuff. So last week, he talked about sex and this week, he talked about money. So it's a big one, two, fun couple weeks for us here in church. Um, <laughs> And as we dive in, though, I want you to think for a moment about last week's sermon, which again was on sexuality. One thing Tim Keller points out, I read this week, that I really, really uh, thought was a helpful thing for me to think about, was that the early church, the, the earliest Christ followers, were much different than the culture they lived in. Um, they really stood out. They, there was this radical shift away from just fitting in and looking like everybody else to something new. And, here, and here's what Keller says. He says, in pagan society, that's the Greco-Roman society, people gave practically nobody their money, but gave everybody their body. Then Christians came along and they gave practically nobody their bodies because they believed in the integrity of sex. And they gave almost everybody their money. As a result, they looked utterly different. And here's the part I like. While the pagans were promiscuous with their bodies and way too self-controlled with their money, the early followers of Jesus were promiscuous with their money and self-controlled with their bodies. I love that, that language of us being promiscuous with our money. So I've entitled this message, A Call to a Promiscuous Life. Carl, did you ever preach a sermon like this before? You might have, maybe. Anyway, some of you have never heard a sermon called A Call to a Promiscuous Life. You've been waiting for this one. I'll just warn you, it may not be exactly what you think. Um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This is what Jesus says. These are words um, right off his lips. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This morning, Jesus is speaking right at you and me, and his words can, should, and must cause us to think again. Today, if I believe, today I believe he wants to offer us three things to consider, and here's the first one. A warning about prosperity. A warning about prosperity. At the very end of this teaching, Jesus makes a very direct and clear statement. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Only one of these, Jesus says, can be king, can be ruler, can be ultimate in your life. Now, this word that the NIV translates money is actually the word mammonas or mammon. And Mammon was a proper name. It was at one time a god, a little g god. It was the, he was the Carthaginian god of prosperity and money. He was an actual pagan idol. But in Jesus' day, hundreds of years later, this name, this word, had become a term that was used to describe anyone who made the paradigm of wealth and prosperity the driving force of their life. Wealth and prosperity, the driving force of their life. Now, I know that this seems crazy and hard to imagine for us in 21st century America, but in Jesus' day, there were actually people who spent most of their time and energy and resources gathering money so that they could amass more and more things for themselves. Hard to believe. And Jesus speaks directly into this mammon-tempted world that he lives in, and he wants to be very clear. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate, that word hate, it's the Greek word meseo, and it means to detest, to utterly detest. Do you detest anything? When I say, what do you detest, what comes to mind? I'll tell you what I detest. I detest artificial grape-flavored gum or candy. I detest it. I loathe it. I my mom and my mom and dad tell me it's because when I was a young kid, I got a lot of ear infections, and they made me take Dimetap, which was grape-flavored, and so I associate that flavor with being sick. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do detest it. I will not allow my children to eat grape-flavored candy or drink grape-flavored soda in my presence. Forbidden in my home. And now you know the secret. If you don't want me around, just pop in a a stick of grape-flavored chewing gum and I am out. Gone. Okay. Either he will detest the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That word despise is katrafineo. It's to think little or nothing of to think little or nothing of. And so Jesus says, you will either despise God or this longing for prosperity. You will either think little or nothing of God or you will think little or nothing of 
finding safety and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment and security in the things of this world, but they cannot go together. You will look to one of those things for security, for hope, for peace, for meaning in your life, but to look to them both, according to Jesus, is utterly impossible. Our our modern English word for mammon is the word materialism. Materialism. And, and, And maybe above all other isms, this ism describes the culture we live in best. Materialism, a preoccupation with or an inordinate desire for things. Materialism is looking to money and material things for satisfaction and security. It's when the majority of my life is wrapped up in the stuff I have or the acquisition of stuff I don't yet have. And here's the problem with materialism. Most of us, as I'm talking about materialism, think to ourselves, well, that's not me. I'm not into materialism. I'm not materialistic. I don't worship mammon. I'm, I've just got good taste. <laughs> right? Sure, I've got some stuff, but it's not really that important to me. There's some things I like, but I don't, I don't worship my things. I don't really, really love or give my heart fully to my things. I'm not a materialist because, you know, I don't actually really even have that much. And then we think about people that have more than we do. Jesus is not asking here, how much do you have? That's not the question. It's not the issue. Jesus is talking here about your affections, what you love and what you lean on, what you dream about, what you hope for, what you turn to for joy and peace and comfort, where you find significance. See, a lot of us find significance in our money, in our stuff. I feel important because of where I live. I I find this to be true of me. I live in a pretty nice house, in in a pretty nice neighborhood. Definitely an upgrade from the neighborhood I lived in California, (laughs) where houses are a lot of money. And I find myself sometimes driving into my neighborhood thinking, man, I must be doing pretty good. Man, I, I just, I must be somebody if I could live here. Or maybe you feel important because of what you wear. Man, I look sharp. This bag looks really nice right here. I mean, like, these designer clothes, that means I've arrived. Or maybe you feel important because of what you drive, the ultimate American status symbol, your car, My buddy Josh, who spoke at the men's retreat last week, tells the story of how he had this kind of beater car, and then one day his wife's grandmother got too old to drive and gave them her Lexus. And Josh said he would drive around town thinking, so this is how they sell these things, because when I drive it, I feel so much more important like he would drive around and just sit up taller and straighter and feel more significant driving that Lexus than he ever did driving his beat-up old whatever it was. For many of us, friends, our stuff makes us feel like somebody. Or maybe it's not significance. Maybe it's security. Maybe 
Your stuff, your money is where you find security. You tell yourself that your peace is from the Lord, but the truth is that your savings account is what really helps you sleep at night. What if it were gone? What if right now, hackers busted in and stole all your money and then the bank refused to pay it back? What if your 401k was just... Now, I'm not saying you should be happy about that or you should want that to happen or you should long for it to happen. But the question is, would you be devastated? Could you still have peace? Because sometimes we don't realize how much we rely on, how much we rely on something until it's gone, until it's taken from us, until it's pried out of our hands. And then there are those of you that don't have a Lexus or a savings account, and right now you're thinking, yeah, tell them, Pastor Dave, tell all these rich people. Get them. Here, here's the deal. Materialism is so sneaky, and it's an equal opportunity offender because we assume that it will hone in on the rich, but it's not about how much you have or don't have. In fact, some people who have very little are so consumed by what they don't have that they are actually the very definition of materialistic. Friends, here's the truth. Most of us in this room have more security and hope and identity and satisfaction and joy and affections wrapped up in money and stuff than we would ever care to admit. And in this passage, Jesus comes to warn us. And he says, there is a rival, a rival would-be claimant to the throne of your heart called the lure of prosperity. But not only that, Jesus offers us a warning about prosperity. He also encourages us practically. This is just a very practical teaching that he lays out. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vernum destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, what Jesus does here is he, he pinpoints, he goes directly after the three highest indicators of wealth in his day. And he does this to point out just how vulnerable they are. Just how shaky they are. Just how insignificant and how fleeting they can be. First of all, clothes. Right? Clothes were, are, and always have been an indicator of someone's status. That word moths, where moths destroy, it's an interesting word. It's the Greek word nordos. It's where we get our, Greek word, or our English word Nordstrom. A place where you can go buy things that will someday rot. Right? I'm totally kidding about that word. It is the word Nordos, but it has nothing to do with Nordstrom's. Jesus, by the way, though, is, is simply saying this. That wardrobe you think makes you so cool or important, it could disappear at any moment. And, and furthermore, if moths don't get it, the changing fashion culture certainly will. Some of you are a testimony of that very truth today. I won't say who you are. Someone laughed in the first service as if I wasn't able to say that. And I said, hey, Ross dressed for less. Anyway, and then Jesus talks about vernum. Because in the ancient world, friends, a person's savings account was often the corn or wheat or grain they had stored away in the back of their house or in their barn. And 
In the ancient Near East, rats and mice were a very real thing. They were a very real threat. They could come in and they could pollute and take out your savings just like that. And then finally, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures where thieves break in and steal. And literally, literally this phrase says, where thieves dig through and steal. Because the walls of an ancient Near Eastern home were just made of baked clay. And so one popular technique for burglars was to simply dig a hole right through the wall of your house, crawl in, and take all your stuff. There's no security, right? There were no safes. There were no banks. But the point is this. Jesus' point is simply this. Why would you put your hope, your trust, your joy, why would you bet your security and significance and identity on things that can be so easily taken away from you? taken away from you in this world. Furthermore, Jesus would say, you are an eternal being. You are a being that will last forever. These are temporal things. Why would you place so much hope and security here? You are bound for devastation. If Jesus were speaking this truth to us here in Portland in 2019, he might say, do you not think the stock market could crash? It's not as if it hasn't ever happened before. Do you not understand that houses burn down? Have you not heard, Oregonians, that an earthquake is likely coming and will completely wipe out nearly all of the most valuable things you own? Do you not understand the shaky ground literally that you are sitting on? And by the way, if that stresses you out and causes you to worry this morning, come back next week because we're talking about worry (laughs) and anxiety. Jesus says, why would you give your heart to these things? Why would you make them your treasure? You've invested so much in this stuff that is so vulnerable. Devastation and disappointment is right around the corner. Any minute, if that's where your treasure is. So Jesus offers us a warning about prosperity. And then he encourages us practically and says, practically, this doesn't even make sense. And finally, he says, lead your heart powerfully. And this is the core of his message. Lead your heart powerfully, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus really doesn't care that much about your treasure. What he cares about is your heart. It's not about your money. God doesn't need your money, but God does want your heart. And what Jesus says is, where you put your money, your time, where you put your time, where you put your energy, where you put your resources, your heart will follow. Friends, this is an amazing principle, and if you can understand this, it will literally revolutionize your life in so many areas. It's called the principle of investment, and the principle of investment says, what you invest in, you begin to care about. What you engage, what you pour into, what you give your resources to, your heart will begin to love. Your affections will move the same way as your cash. When I was a kid, my dad used to let me bet a dollar on every single NFL football game. He loved football, and he wanted me to love football, and so he would lay out all the games, just put them out on paper, all the teams that were playing, and I could pick each team I wanted, every game. I could choose the the team I wanted, and then it was a dollar per game. If his team won, I owed him a dollar. If my team won, 
He owed me a dollar, and at the end of the weekend, we'd tally it up, and someone would owe someone else dollars. And because I got to pick the teams, and I could clearly see their records, and I knew who was better than who, I would always win money. But I went from, as this little first grader, not caring at all about football, to watching every single score. My heart was engaged. I really deeply cared about football suddenly. Why? Why? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also this is why gambling is so incredibly addictive for some people. It's just a, a, a real-life world principle kind of spun in a negative way, right? Everything God creates is good, and then the world pollutes it and makes it bad. This is why when I was in high school and my buddies would come over and we'd go down to the basement and we would play cards, we didn't just play for fun we didn't just play for chips. My mom would always say, can't you just play for chips? And we're like, no, we want to play for quarters. Why? Because there was so much money on the line. No, it was just a few bucks. But those few bucks made the game so much more engaging and interesting. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your affections will be also. This is how it works. You put your money in. Your heart gets a little more attached. It just does. You start to notice what's going on. You start to pay attention. You not only notice, you're in the game. You really begin to care because you're invested and your heart will follow your investment. And now you can see, friends, why Jesus is so vehement in saying, get your money into the things of God. Invest in kingdom activity. Unleash your resources into God's work. Why? Because your heart will soon follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your money is a tool. God says, you want to lead your heart? Here's a tool. Use your money and lead your heart where you know it ought to go. Use your money to direct your, direct your affections. Some of you, you sit here in church every week, and you wonder, why don't I care about God that much? Some of you sit here and you look around and you see people who are all in, who are passionate, who are engaged, whose hearts are emotionally connected to the Lord. And you think, I really wish I loved God that much. I wish I cared about him that deeply. Some of you sit here and you think, why does the Bible not seem to ignite my heart the way it ignites others. Why don't I care about the church? Why am I so numb and ambivalent about spiritual things? Some of you sit here and you think, why do I hear about ministries like Family Promise and CR and Cedar Mill Refuge and the Jesus Table and Team Up and Royal Family Kids Camp? And yet I don't really seem to care. Why? When Jesse stands up and says, four foster kids can't go to camp unless two men will step up. Why do some of you not even consider that? Why do some of you not even pull out your phone and look at your calendar and think, is there any possible way I could make that week work? Why is your heart so cold? Why is it not warm and moved towards the things of God, towards the people that God cares about? And other people seem to really care. They seem to be emotionally engaged and compassionate. Here's the deal, friends. If you're honest, the things of God are just real peripheral to your affections. The question is, where are you investing? Where are you investing? And not just your money. 
Where are you investing your time, your resources, your abilities and gifts? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you don't have any treasure in the game, then your heart won't get in the game. If you keep waiting for your heart to feel all warm and fuzzy before you will invest, you've got the order flipped around. Jesus says, invest, and then your heart will follow. It's a wonderful principle for life. He continues. He takes it up a notch. He like raises the stakes now, and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Everyone ever wonder like, why Jesus says this here? He's talking about money. He's talking about you know, prosperity and materialism. And then all of a sudden, there's this whole like, eyes and lamps and body thing going on. Here's what he's doing. He's illustrating this point, this principle of investment. What he's saying is, your eyes are no different than the rest of your life. Your money works the same way your eyes work. Whatever you engage with your eyes, whatever you focus on, whatever you invest in visually, it slowly over time becomes what you care about. It seeps into your heart, into your life. We talked about this last week as it relates to sexuality. That's why you have to guard so carefully about what you will allow your eyes to linger on. Because what you invest in with your eyes will seep into your heart. And Jesus says, if you visually invest in good stuff, in God's stuff, in kingdom stuff, your whole body will start to get saturated and filled with that good stuff. Your whole body will be full of light. Your heart and your soul and your person will start to become the person that God longs for you to become and created you to become. However, and here's the hard warning, if you engage with and focus on and invest in darkness, non-kingdom stuff, if the way you spend your money does not point to God but to mammon, materialism, if when you look at your resources they are all about finding joy and satisfaction and security in the things of this world, then Jesus says your whole body, your whole life will be infected with this darkness, with this philosophy of living that will lead you nowhere, that will find you empty and alone. This is a stern warning from Jesus and it's a warning that comes out of love. He does not want this darkness to seep into your heart. Which is why Jesus says, how great is that darkness? Be real careful with materialism and mammon and just living for the things of this world. Be real careful that you don't just get sucked right along with our American culture. And think about how you can get more and more and more for yourself Friends, where you invest your resources is not just about your resources. Jesus is saying here, it is extremely important that you invest your money in kingdom stuff so that you will fall in love with the king. Maybe you're here this morning and you're sitting there and now you're thinking, I knew it. I knew it. All the church wants is my money. Pastor Dave needs a new car and so he decided to preach on money today. And I knew this whole thing was a sham. 
And I'll just say, you can think that if you want to. You can try and let yourself off the hook that way if you want to, but it is absolutely untrue. The church does not just want your money. We want way more than your money. The church wants your heart. The church wants you to invest and engage and pour yourself into our community here so that you'll be engaged with the things of God. The church wants you to use your time and resources and gifts to lead your heart powerfully towards a life where you will find satisfaction and security and joy and meaning and purpose in a life following Jesus, where materialism has been kicked out and God now has full reign to sit on the throne of your life. And if you have any sense that this is just about raising money for the church, then let me just say this to you. Don't give any money to our church. Go give it to some other kingdom organization. Go use it in the lives of other people to advance God's will and ways in this world because there's a lot of great places to give money. So if this church thing is a trip-up point for you, don't let that get you off the hook. You go and you invest in the kingdom somewhere else. I like that. Preach it. Let's go. That's what I'm talking about. I think we have to get brutally honest here, friends, because... Sometimes in these kind of sermons, I think, how do we miss this in evangelicalism? We're so, so vehement about certain sins taking over our lives and ruining our lives, and yet Jesus is so very honest and strong and clear about us not being sucked into a life of materialism, and yet so many of us sit here utterly enslaved by it. Let's get brutally honest today. Has the kingdom of God invaded your life on a financial level? If someone was to look at your finances, would they clearly see that you are a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ? And it actually brings up another point. Is anyone looking at your finances? Because here's what our culture says. Your finances are your business. And here's what the scripture says. Your finances are God's business. You know, in the early church, people's financial lives were wide open for the church just to sort of critique, challenge, redirect. When people didn't like use their money in kingdom ways, they got utterly called out. Now, I'm not saying you have to open up your checkbook to everyone in the church. I don't actually really even want to know what you make and what you give. I don't know what anybody gives in this church, but here's what I'm suggesting. Someone should know, someone else, some other godly person who you would trust is to say, can you take a look at how I'm spending my money? Do you think God is honored in this? Is there anything I'm not seeing? Am I blind to the lure of prosperity in my life? Is there a darkness that I'm allowing to creep into my heart and soul? Is there anything else I could do to combat the lure of prosperity? That's biblical. Would would your bank account be a testimony of the grace of God in your life? Would someone say, oh man, you've been changed by grace. I can see it right here in the dollars and cents. Do your time and money and resources move you towards treasuring the one who truly treasures you? Because, Because here's this really odd thing that happens. And here's like the truth underneath the truth. This is what Jesus is getting at. What you think you possess ends up possessing you. That's what Jesus says. What you think you own, what you think you have, what you think you possess, it ends up owning and possessing 
you. So the question is, are you investing your resources in stuff that will be a good owner of your soul? A good caretaker of your heart. Because mammon, mammon doesn't love you. Mammon won't save you. In fact, when things eventually go bad and this world starts to, starts to fall apart, mammon will drop you like a bad habit. All that stuff that gave you significance and security and joy and pleasure and satisfaction, it will abandon you just like that. And friends, I tell you, I am blessed to have been in a role where I get to see people at the end of their lives. And I get to be with them when they're looking back and they're thinking about what really mattered. And I have yet to sit with someone who looks back and says, oh, Pastor Dave, I wish I would have upgraded my wardrobe just one more time. I should have totally got that nicer car. You know, I went too many years without the top of the line nicest phone. I can't believe I kept the iPhone 7 when the iPhone 8 was out and available. Man, if I could do it all over again. Preaching at myself right now. You know, there's this amazing scene. Um, it's a movie that some of you will be familiar with called Schindler's List. And it's the story of a man named Oskar Schindler, who's a businessman in Nazi Germany during World War II, and he ends up using a lot of his resources to save a, a number of Jews from concentration camps and he just purchases them from from the government and at the end of the movie there's this phenomenal scene where a very young looking Liam Neeson uh, is leaving town he has to flee because the government has sort of figured out what he's been up to and so he has to flee for his life and as he's preparing to leave the country um, he walks out and there's all these Jewish people there whose lives have been saved by him whose lives he has purchased. And there's 1,100 of them. It's a pretty overwhelming moment. And they say, thank you. And you think he would just you know, beam with pride. And yet this scene sort of breaks him and he starts to look around and he looks over at his car and he says, this car, why did I, why did I buy this car? Why did I keep this car? This car was 10 people. 10 people, this car, and then he pulls this little lapel off, this little like, pin off his lapel, and he says, this, this pin, it was two people. It's two people, why did I need this pin? I could have got two more people. And all of a sudden, there's this, this understanding that our resources matter. Right. There's this deep, all of a sudden, kind of relook at the world and what matters and what doesn't and what has value and eternal significance and what absolutely does not. And Jesus says, I so want to save you from investing your life in the wrong stuff. I so want to save you from this moment where you get to the end and you think, man, I spent so much time and energy just trying to get more and more and more for me, just trying to amass more and more things, just trying to go on one more fun trip or cool experience. They thought if I just did one more thing, then my life would feel all filled up and good and satisfied. He says, it's a dead end road. I so want to save you from that. So invest your life, invest your resources into things that are going to lead your heart and life towards the things of God because the things of God, they'll last forever. 
You can carry them with you, not just in this world, but on into eternity. You see, storing up treasures in heaven isn't like doing good deeds so you can get a really big house in heaven someday. I have a small house here. I drive a junker car here, but in heaven, I'm driving an Audi. No. It's about letting our resources change our hearts so that we begin to understand what really matters, so that we begin to value the things that God values. Jesus says, don't let darkness seep into your heart. Use your money and your resources to lead your soul the way God wants it to go. Mammon won't save you, friends. But God will. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to, while you were still a sinner, while you were still someone who lived in rebellion, die on a cross to save your life. You see, the message of the scriptures is Invest in the one who's invested everything for you. This table that we come to every week, this meal that we share together is a reminder of that fact. It's a reminder of where where true, true joy and peace and satisfaction and significance and security are found. This table is a reminder that you can trust God with your heart because he's given everything for you. This table is an invitation to invest in the one who, when he invests in you, when he owns you, you will be safe and secure, not just in this world, but for all of time. So this morning, I invite you to come to the table and take the bread, which reminds you of the body of Christ, that he gave his very life, and the cup, the blood of Christ, that he shed his blood, that he died on the sin, that you might have everlasting life, to remember that love, to receive that love, and then to consider how much of my Energy, time, resources are invested in kingdom things. And consider how much he's invested in you. And then I've got a challenge for you, but we're going to save that for the end. So come when you're ready. The worship team is going to come lead us in worship, and I want you to go to the table. Remember how our God gave it all for you through his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for the way that you've given so much for us, for the way that you call us to find real life and hope and security and peace, the way you offer prosperity, but in a different way than the world does. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by your generosity that we might be radically generous people. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We just, we just sang... No power of hell, no scheme of, ma- no scheme of man will ever pluck me from his hand. Well, I'll tell you, here's, here's a scheme of hell and of this world. If you only have enough of or the right things in this world, your heart will be satisfied. And that'll just absolutely take your life right off the path that he wants it on. That's a scheme of the enemy that... He so badly that he's working overtime to get you to buy into. And so today I just want to say let's fight back against that. Let's be the kind of church that says, no, we will not give in to that. We will fight for our hearts to be aligned with Jesus. What would it look like for you to be more financially promiscuous for Jesus this week? That's the question. And I know after first service, I had like a bunch of people come up to me like, Pastor Dave, I drive a Lexus, but I want you to know it's a 2007. 
and it has 180,000 miles. Pastor Dave, you know, I have this phone, but I want you to know I've had it for a long time, and I'm going to keep it. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't justify your material possessions to me. I got material possessions too. Here's the challenge. Take one step. What's one change that you need to make? One financial step, one move with your resources towards investing more of your heart in Jesus and his kingdom. And think about an area where you're tempted to sort of find security or safety in this world. Maybe shift some of those resources just by a way of Satan. No way, Satan. I'm not falling for your scheme. I will not let you lure my heart away from the life that God longs for me to live. Just one change this week. But here, but here's what I'm going to ask you not to do. Don't just do nothing. Don't just do nothing. If you don't have money right now, if that's not an option for you, then find a place to invest some resources or some time or some gifts, but make one change this week towards investment in the kingdom. I'm gonna do it too. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. God's been pinging me with it all week and I am going to execute it on this week, I promise you. One change, one little change from all of us. Look around this room. That's a lot of changes. That's a lot of kingdom movement. That's a lot of Jesus is Lord. And the world will not be the same. So. Go this week, church, and be promiscuous in Jesus' name. God bless. We'll see you next week.